were snippets from a 911 call Linda Cooney made on February 7, 1992, from her home in Juneau Beach. Nearly 20 years later, she made this call to a 911 operator in Las Vegas, Nevada. My son, my son has a gunshot wound to the neck. Kevin, Kevin, are you all right? How did he get this wound? Please, How did he get this wound? With, with a handgun. Did somebody else shoot him or did he do it himself? Hello? 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 The first time, Linda shot her husband. The second time, according to prosecutors, she shot her son. The same gun was used in both shootings. That bizarre story is coming up on Sun Crime State. I'm Tony Holt, crime reporter for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Welcome to Sun Crime State, a weekly podcast that takes an in-depth look at Florida's biggest crime stories of the past and present. In this episode, I'll discuss the sordid saga of Linda Cooney, an aspiring socialite from the Midwest who married into one of the most prominent families in Palm Beach County. Her nine-year marriage ended in ugly fashion. She was in the middle of a bitter custody battle with her ex-husband, tax attorney Jim Cooney, when he was shot dead at his ex-wife's home. Linda Cooney was charged with first-degree murder, but was acquitted after her then 11-year-old son, Kevin, testified at her trial. Two decades later, Linda Cooney was accused of shooting and paralyzing Kevin during an argument in their Las Vegas home. Cooney was convicted in that shooting, but the story did not end there. My special guest for this episode will be Assistant State Attorney Pete Magrino, who prosecuted Cooney in the Palm Beach case, as well as Palm Beach Post investigative reporter Christine Stapleton. Is Linda Cooney a murderer? No. No, I'm not. Definitely not. What are you? I'm a mother who defended herself and her children. That was the only televised interview Linda Cooney has ever done. She granted it to the now-defunct syndicated tabloid news show, Hard Copy. Linda Cooney has always portrayed herself as a victim in the shooting that claimed the life of her ex-husband. Authorities said she murdered him in cold blood and deserved a life sentence, but jurors acquitted her. The relationship Linda Cooney had with her ex-husband and former in-laws was volatile. It consisted of a series of public confrontations instigated by Linda. The one who received the brunt of it, according to investigators, was her ex-husband, Jim Cooney. She was a manipulative individual and obviously she was she was violent 
That was Pete Magrino, who, while an assistant state attorney in Broward County, was assigned to the Jim Cooney murder case as a special prosecutor in Palm Beach. During the morning of February 7, 1992, Jim Cooney, a prominent tax attorney in Palm Beach, told a judge during a child custody hearing that he could not understand the intensity of his ex-wife's anger. He likened it to Glenn Close's character and fatal attraction. Hours later, he'd be shot dead by his ex-wife. It was during that same court hearing that a judge heard James Cooney's motion seeking a psychological evaluation for his estranged wife. He alleged that Linda Cooney's behavior was unstable and irrational. The judge ordered a psychological exam for Linda. Jim was dead before those papers were signed. The fatal shooting was a story that generated a swarm of media attention. One of the reporters who covered the case closely was Christine Stapleton, an investigative reporter with the Palm Beach Post. Yes, the Coonies are, you know, a very well-known and established family in um in Palm Beach, and the family's been on the island for, you know, many years. The father was the, the first neurosurgeon in in Palm Beach, and the family, most of the uh, the kids are doctors and lawyers. They live on the island year-round, so they're a little different than a lot of the other people that, uh, you know, are in Palm Beach just for the season. So the Cooney family is very established. Um, they're very well known. They gave the baptismal font, which is in St. Edward's Church, which is the Catholic church in town. So, you know, they've been very involved in, you know, the church and civic organizations. So that's partially why this particular case drew so much attention is because of the prominence of the family. 27 years ago, last month, 42-year-old James Cooney was shot to death. He was shot by his then 44-year-old ex-wife in the front hallway of her home on Olympus Drive in Juneau Beach. The argument, according to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, appeared to be about the custody of the couple's two sons. Linda Cooney was not arrested. She lawyered up immediately and did not speak to authorities. She would not be jailed until after the case was heard by a grand jury. In a story that was published in the Palm Beach Post four days after the shooting, Cooney's attorney at the time, Nelson Bailey, told the media that his client shot her husband in self-defense. Bailey pointed out that law enforcement has, quote, all the evidence to reflect self-defense, including 911 tapes of what happened. Authorities listened to those 911 recordings and came to a far different conclusion. The couple had been divorced for about four years before Jim's death. Jim Cooney, in his motion, quoted the lawsuit of another attorney in the area who had dated Linda after her divorce. In that lawsuit, Linda was accused of slashing the man's tires, making harassing phone calls to his friends, and climbing onto the balcony of his home and turning on the propane valve of his gas grill. She was trying to create potential for a fire or explosion, according to that lawsuit. Linda's unpredictable behavior was something that mortified the entire Cooney family. 
when her estranged husband's father died in 1988, Linda showed up at the funeral in a white dress and refused to leave. Jim's brother stated in court papers that Linda, quote, insisted on staging an appearance. He also accused her of openly mocking the deceased patriarch. The Cooney family wasn't just offended by her, they were afraid of her. Here again is Christine Stapleton. Obviously, later on, they became very concerned and uh, were actually afraid of Linda. Um, There had been some erratic behavior, and during the divorce, the um, Jim's um, siblings became so concerned that they actually filed some uh, documents in the court saying that they were afraid of Linda. They had their locks changed, and, uh, you know, they were just really concerned about her erratic behavior. Jim and Linda Cooney met at a party in Palm Beach and had a whirlwind romance. They decided to elope, which surprised everyone in Jim's circle. Jim's family was made up largely of doctors and lawyers. They had wealth and influence. Jim's father was Palm Beach County's first ever neurosurgeon. Jim came from privilege, but forged his own path. He graduated from Palm Beach High and attended the University of Notre Dame, where he became captain of the swim team. Linda's background was, by comparison, much more working class. She was a legal secretary and a native of Port Washington, a small town about 25 miles north of Milwaukee, which is where she began her professional life. The law firm she worked for opened a location in West Palm Beach. She applied for a transfer and got it. It wasn't long after that move that she met Jim at a fancy party attended by many people in the local legal community. Linda had been married once before, briefly while she was in her 20s, but little is known about it. When Jim and Linda went public with their romance, it did not take long for Jim's brother, Bob, to grow suspicious. Here he is telling CBS News' 48 Hours what he learned about Linda and what her job entailed at another local law firm in town. One of her roles at that law firm was to help entertain clients. As a gentleman, may I assume that entertain was in quotes? Yes. Linda accused Jim of beating her as early as 1983. Twice she went to the hospital. She claimed in divorce papers that the couple's marital problems stemmed from Jim having an affair. Jim merely stated the couple had irreconcilable differences. Twice Jim filed for divorce in 1987, but they reconciled both times. When Jim filed for divorce the third time that November, he did not change his mind. The divorce became final the following July. Linda did not get a lot from her ex-husband in the divorce, but she did get full custody of the kids. She also got a 1984 BMW, half of the 125,000 shares of one stock, and half of Jim's $27,000 interest in a local realty company. She also received $900 per month in alimony and $1,200 per month in child support payments. The Cooney family accused Linda of harassing them even after the divorce, threatening them over the phone and cussing at them. 
The Coonies hosted a Christmas party in December 1987, and Linda showed up uninvited with her sons, disrupting the party for close to an hour, screaming profanities at guests. When she left the party, according to witnesses, she left her sons behind, standing in the street. They were seven and five at the time. When the shooting happened, Kevin was ten and Christopher was eight. They were in the house when Linda shot Jim. On that fateful February day in 1992, Jim Cooney showed up at his ex-wife's home. He had not seen his son since Thanksgiving. Because he was so convinced of his wife's mental instability, he decided to seek custody of his sons. He felt they needed to be protected from their mother. When police showed up at the house later, Jim's lifeless body was lying in the hallway. He had a knife with a 12-inch blade in one hand. His estranged wife had shot him three times with a 357 Magnum revolver. Police said Jim had showed up to the house to pick up his sons for a trip they were taking. The boys were in their room packing when an argument started. The one who called 911 was Kevin. His brother Christopher wound up hiding in the closet. Kevin called 911 and said, Help, there's just been a shooting. He gave the home address, and just as the emergency operator started questioning the boy, the other phone in the house was picked up. Seven digits were punched in before Linda Cooney put the phone to her ear and said, is this the police? Afterward, the tone of her voice changed. She started sounding more panicked. She told the operator that her ex-husband had just tried to kill her. She shot at him as he was coming down the hall. After she said that, the call was disconnected. The operator redialed the number several times before Cooney answered again. She was screaming hysterically into the phone. About a minute later, police showed up. Juno Beach Police handled the call and was later assisted in the investigation by the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Police took the family to police headquarters where Linda Cooney declined to give a statement. She started becoming hysterical again, so paramedics were called in to treat her. Her pulse was only mildly raised, which prompted authorities at the time to question whether she was putting on an act. The shooting was traumatic for the boys, and the developments afterward raised more questions than answers. Sheriff's detectives later learned the number Linda Cooney had dialed was that of her attorney, Jupiter real estate attorney Steve Cook. Magrino told me that Cooney and Cook had a relationship at the time that went far beyond the typical client-attorney relationship. The state tried to take custody of the boys following the shooting, but a judge issued an order stopping the state from doing so. That meant Linda Cooney, who was about to be indicted for murder, was allowed to keep her sons. The judge ruled in Linda's favor in spite of her refusal to surrender the children or tell police of their whereabouts. She did all of that while the state temporarily had legal custody over the children. 
That meant Linda Cooney was violating a court order. But it didn't matter to the judge, who felt the state had not presented enough evidence to prove the children should have been placed in shelter care. Before the indictment came down, then-Governor Lawton Childs appointed two special prosecutors to investigate the shooting death after state attorney David Bloodworth requested that his office be dismissed from the case. Bloodworth knew the Cooney family well. He had served in the U.S. Army with Jim and had befriended other Cooney family members through his work through the local Rotary Club. In addition to all of that, Linda Cooney actually worked for Bloodworth as a legal secretary back in 1980, although her employment only lasted a few weeks. One of those special prosecutors was Pete Magrino. A grand jury indictment was unsealed in April. It disclosed that Linda Cooney was charged with first-degree murder in the fatal shooting of her ex-husband. Linda was finally jailed in mid-April and held without bail, but that didn't last. Her attorneys swiftly filed a motion for a new bond hearing, and a judge released her on bail about three weeks after her arrest. The Cooney children stayed with a family friend during their mother's brief stint at the county jail. The state opposed bail, but if one was going to be set, the amount suggested by prosecutors was $200,000. The judge wound up setting her bail at $75,000. In the judge's written order, Cooney was permitted to stay at her friend's house with her sons as long as she does not discuss the case with them. Jim Cooney's family and friends were shocked and dismayed over the arrangement. One of his friends said to reporters, quote, to recommend these two children be placed in the hands of the killer of their father makes a Stephen King novel appear tame. Needless to say, Pete Magrino didn't care for the arrangement either. He also disclosed another detail about the court order. The boys were state witnesses in the case against their mother so Magrino could not speak to Kevin or Christopher without an attorney present. The only contact that we could have with the children was with her lawyer being present at his office. So, so certainly uh, one had to be very circumspect with regard to... Um, speaking with with the boys with the defense lawyer being present the autopsy report revealed a lot and none of it was good for linda cooney for starters the buttons on jim's shirt had been pulled off he appeared to have been four to six feet away from the revolver when the shots were fired except for one of the shots which was fired inches from where jim had been lying during a pre-trial hearing in May 1992, a state witness, who was a crime scene reconstruction expert, demonstrated to the judge using dummies how Jim Cooney was positioned when he was shot. The assailant, he said, shot him two times as he tried to back away and while his hands were held up in an attempt to ward off the rounds from the 357 Magnum. After he fell, the shooter leaned over his body, which was lying in a prone position, and shot him once in the head. Then the shooter rolled the body over and planted a knife in his hand. Here again is Pete Magrino. All right, let's say 
she was in fear for her life at the time with the first shot and the second shot. But when he is down on the floor, laying on his side, and she walks up and puts a close-range shot behind the, I can't remember if it was behind the right ear or the left ear. No, there's no more fear at that point in time. I mean, that's a downright execution. Cooney's newly hired attorney, Richard Lubin, during the pretrial phase of the case, portrayed Jim Cooney as someone who was calm and mild-mannered on the outside, but on the inside, he was a much darker person. He told the media there was ample evidence that Jim Cooney was a violent and abusive man. It is not a crime to kill someone who you fear is going to kill you. That's what Lubin told the media. It was noted by Jim Cooney's divorce lawyer that Linda Cooney never actually sought an injunction against her ex-husband. Not only that, but they had been divorced for four years. He wasn't in any position to abuse her during that time. On February 3rd, just a few days before the shooting, Linda Cooney walked into the Juneau Beach Police Department and asked to speak to a detective. That detective wrote in his report that Linda, quote, began to ramble frantically that she would never let Jim Cooney take her kids. The detective asked her why she came to police, and she told him, you mark my words, before the next couple of days are over, James Cooney will try to kill me. A computer animation of the shooting that the state wanted to introduce at the trial was disallowed by the judge. That was a blow to the state because it illustrated how the shooting went down, according to prosecutors. Jim Cooney, they said, was a defenseless victim when he was fatally shot. That was proven by the fact that Jim Cooney had gunpowder residue on both of his hands. This according to prosecutors. That meant his hands were up and open when he was shot, like he was taking a defensive position. If both hands were open when he was shot, then it was impossible to believe he was coming at his ex-wife with a knife. That's what the state argued. Here again is Pete Magrino. There was gunpowder residue found on his open palms. Uh, that Exactly. On the palmer surfaces of, of his hands, which obviously... Uh, you can if if you have a knife or even a set of keys clutched in the palm of your hands, uh, you, you cannot get a gunshot residue on the palmer surface like that. Think of black powder getting embedded, you know, from when a firearm is is fired, getting embedded it in in the skin and. I would imagine you would have to be pretty close to the muzzle of that gun for that to happen. Uh, correct. There was a phone call Linda Cooney had with her husband days before the shooting. She illegally recorded the phone call, which meant it was inadmissible in court. But on that tape, Linda is heard asking Jim repeatedly to meet with her on Friday. Jim wound up being shot that Friday. Linda also asked questions about Jim's life insurance policy. She asked whether he still had the policy. He said he did, and that she was the beneficiary. 
She told him, quote, I don't want to be the beneficiary. The children better be. Coming up, I'll discuss the trial of Linda Cooney, which was highlighted by the testimony of the defendant's elementary school-aged son. Shortly after the start of Linda Cooney's trial in May 1993, one of the first pieces of evidence presented to jurors was the recording of the 911 call her son made, which was interrupted by his mother. Magrino told jurors during his opening statement to pay close attention to Linda Cooney's voice. He told jurors, I'll ask you to pay particular attention to the tone of her voice, to how her voice changes from an argumentative inquiry, who is this, to a hysterical tone saying that James Cooney was coming up the hallway with a knife and I shot him. Defense attorney Richard Lubin said the police investigation into his client was grossly negligent and incomplete. He also accused investigators of making assumptions based on facts that never existed. Christine Stapleton covered the trial for the Palm Beach Post. One thing she noticed was the defendant's appearance, which seemed to belie the public's perception of her. She did not strike me as a um, a woman who was shy, demure type of woman. And yet when she got into the courtroom, they had dressed her in these Laura Ashley dresses. Now, I don't know if you remember those uh, from the time, but Laura Ashley, they were very conservative kind of uh, floral dresses. And, uh, you know, it was really almost to the point where it felt staged. Uh, they made her appear very, um, you know, maternal and quiet. And so it was um, really a much different sort of portrayal of her than what I had learned about her in, in doing my, my research. Jurors learned Jim Cooney had been shot a total of three times, once under the right arm, once in the neck, and once more in the back of his head. Magrino told the jury that Jim was shot in the head after he had fallen to the floor and that the gun was about one foot away from his skull when that bullet was fired. The blood splatter evidence, according to Magrino, supported that theory. When the autopsy photos were presented into evidence, and while the medical examiner was testifying, Linda Cooney's emotions were on full display. When the photo of her ex-husband's head wound was shown to jurors, she cried and buried her face into the shoulder of one of her attorneys. A recess was called, and she was escorted out of the courtroom. The medical examiner said gunpowder residue found on Jim Cooney's hands disproved the notion that he had been holding an object while he was shot. He also said the shot to the victim's neck left gunpowder to his face and neck, indicating the shooter was in close range. One state witness, who was an expert in crime scene reconstruction, used a foam rubber mannequin to demonstrate how Jim Cooney was standing when he was shot. According to the expert, Jim was first struck in the left shoulder and then spun to his left. 
The bullet traveled through his body and then broke a window pane in the French door behind him. Jim Cooney's arms were raised and his palms were open when he was struck by the bullet. The second shot struck him under the right armpit as he fell to the ground. Jim fell onto his left side and stomach. He lay there when the third shot, fired at close range, hit him in the back of the head. Based on news reports of the early portion of the trial, it seemed the state was scoring big. But the entire dynamic of the trial changed after one particular witness was called to the stand, 11-year-old Kevin Cooney. Here again is Christine Stapleton. Then, you know, you have the boy's testimony, uh, Kevin's testimony, which, you know, was really, you know, compelling. Um, It was really, you know, dramatic to see that little boy go up on the stand. He testified that he uh, he and his brother had... uh, Gone. They were in a in a separate room, and the the doorknob was actually not working on that door. So the the door didn't shut all the way. So they were able to see. He was able to see out in, into the hallway into what was happening. And they were, you know, they were afraid. They'd heard the argument. You know, he was just. It was just. His mother was sitting across the courtroom. You know, he comes in. He's got a little action figure that he's got in his hand, and he gets up on the stand. You could tell he was, you know, really, really terrified. I mean, this is testimony that, you know, could technically put his mother away for, you know, for life. Kevin, at the time, was gangly. He had bright red hair and freckles. That innocent-looking boy had to describe the image of his father being shot dead by his mother. Kevin was the state's witness. He told Magrino everything happened so fast, adding, quote, It was so loud, my ears were kind of ringing, and the flash of light kind of made everything go red. Here is a portion of that testimony. You can hear Magrino asking Kevin questions. This portion of the testimony was pulled from an episode of 48 Hours. You saw something... In your dad's right hand? Yes. Was it dark or shining? It had a glary shine. That was a critical part of his testimony. When police showed up that night at the house, Jim had that knife in his hand. And his set of car keys was lying between his legs. During cross-examination, defense attorney Richard Lubin asked Kevin whether he heard his dad say the words, this is it. Kevin confirmed that's what he heard. Lubin appeared to be inserting into the minds of jurors that Jim Cooney could have been holding a knife and that his words, this is it, were meant to imply that Linda's life was about to be over. Kevin also said that after the shooting, at one point, his mother entered their room, where Kevin and his younger brother, Chris, were hiding. She got down on the floor, lay on her back, and pressed the door closed using her feet. She pointed the gun toward the door the entire time, ordering her sons to stay back. Police showed up shortly thereafter. Very few people saw Kevin testify. The courtroom was cleared of everyone except for the attorneys, bailiffs, judge, clerk, jurors, and one reporter. 
cameras were not allowed, although one video was captured of the boy's testimony, and portions of that were shown on the news. There was speculation that Linda Cooney would testify in her defense, but that did not happen. Jurors took three hours to return with a not guilty verdict. Linda was elated. She cried, which she did often during the trial, and hugged her attorneys. She told reporters, quote, I wasn't guilty of this, and I'm glad the jury understood. I just want to go home to my boys. A few of the jurors were interviewed after the trial by Stapleton. They told Stapleton that deliberations began with a secret ballot. Ten of the twelve jurors voted not guilty. The other two were undecided. That meant no one had Linda Cooney guilty after all that evidence and all the arguments were presented. Their discussions focused on Kevin's testimony. When he said he saw something glary in his father's hand, that pretty much sealed it. The jurors had actually removed the car keys from the evidence bag and turned off the lights in the deliberation room. Those keys had no shine or glare to them at all. Whatever Kevin saw in his father's hand was most likely the knife and not those keys. That's what they concluded. Here again is Pete Magrino. The not guilty verdict is on me because obviously uh, I didn't present the case well enough and or uh, I didn't select the appropriate jury to try the case. I'll, I'll take the heat on that. That's on me. Christine Stapleton told me that the acquittal was a surprise to most people. It was surprising to her as well as to the Cooney family. I think it was very, it was certainly surprising to the family. Now, she had one of the best criminal defense lawyers in town, Richard Lubin. So in terms of was it a surprise, um, you know, because she didn't have a, you know, a good representation or whatever? No, because, you know, she had really the best attorney, in, one of the best attorneys in town. But I think it, I think it was a surprise. I mean, it, it actually was a surprise to me. I sat through the entire trial and I found the um, testimony of the forensic expert very convincing. Linda Cooney scored another victory. Taxpayers footed her $100,000 attorney bill. Florida law requires taxpayers to pay the cost of defending a case when the defendant is found not guilty. Linda also held the purse strings for the $1 million trust fund that her boys inherited from their dead father. Eventually, Linda Cooney took the money and fled to Nevada. She took the boys and headed to Las Vegas and really fell off the radar. We didn't really hear anything about her for um, for years. The boys, though, did not have any relationship at all with their cousins or their aunts and uncles in Palm Beach. So Linda uh, and the boys, you know, they were basically isolated um, from the Cooney family altogether. And so the boys didn't really have any other family besides their, their mother. And they became from what we understand, um, you know, a very, very close unit. And Linda was very, you know, a very controlling mother. So we, um, you know, we really didn't hear anything. So Linda Cooney took her boys and moved 2,500 miles west. They settled in Las Vegas. 
Christine Stapleton always had an aching suspicion that Linda Cooney would be in the news again. It was just something about her that made me feel like this is not the end of uh, the Linda Cooney story. And it wasn't. Coming up, I'll discuss what happened to Linda Cooney and her son, Kevin, in Las Vegas, almost 20 years after the shooting death of Jim Cooney. Do you know how he got shot? No. Did you shoot Kevin? No. How in the world did your son get shot when only you two were in the house? I don't know. You don't know or you don't want to know? Has he tried to hurt himself in the past? Has he ever tried to commit suicide? He never went through with it. Okay, has he talked about it? Yes. On June 28, 2011, Linda Cooney shot her son, Kevin Cooney, in the neck, paralyzing him. The now six foot nine grown man, who was a former bouncer, is expected to spend the rest of his life confined to a wheelchair. Life in Vegas for Linda Cooney and her sons was never rosy. This in spite of the new start and a sizable nest egg they received. In early 1994, while Linda Cooney was still in Florida, she and the estate of her late ex-husband settled out of court. The settlement that Linda Cooney received from her former in-law's estate made the local news. The Palm Beach Post wrote about it. The story included one very unusual detail. The gun that Linda used to kill her husband, that 357 Magnum revolver, was returned to her. She kept it. Later that year, in late July 1994, Linda Cooney was arrested again. This time, she was accused of attacking a 17-year-old female who was jogging. Police said she was driving down the road, saw the girl, and then pulled over and confronted her. Linda yelled obscenities at the girl, kicked her twice in the stomach, and slapped her in the head, this according to police. The girl happened to be the daughter of Linda Cooney's former friend, the one who cared for Linda's sons while she was in jail. The same friend had also testified during Linda's bond hearing, during which she vouched for her friend, telling the judge Linda could live with her and work at her business while awaiting trial. That attack of Linda's friend's daughter was witnessed by both of Linda's sons, Kevin and Christopher. In December 1994, Cooney stood trial for two misdemeanor charges related to the attack. For a second time in less than 20 months, Linda Cooney was acquitted. It was around that time that Linda and her two boys moved to Las Vegas, where Linda maintained a low profile. She volunteered with local Republican Party campaigns and various events related to politics and fundraisers. By 2000, that $1 million trust fund the boys had, one that Linda controlled, had completely dried up. Linda Cooney never got a job. She told a reporter in 2004 that she used the money to pay for a move, a new house about 30 minutes from the Vegas Strip, as well as a car and other expenses. 
Linda Cooney was asked whether she ever discussed the shooting with her sons after the trial was over. She answered, quote, What is there to talk about? I shot a guy who was going to kill me. I felt nothing, no sadness, no remorse. Less than 20 years later, Linda shot another guy, the very same one who helped her beat a murder rap while he was a fifth grader. She shot her son, Kevin. Linda, according to authorities, used the same gun, the same 357 Magnum revolver she used to kill Jim Cooney. Pete Magrino, who left South Florida in the early 2000s to become a homicide prosecutor in Florida's 5th Judicial Circuit north of Tampa, remembered getting a call from a former investigator with the state attorney's office at his previous job. Magrino remembered hearing him ask, Did you hear about Linda Cooney? Magrino was shocked when that investigator told him that Linda Cooney had shot her own son. He was also shocked to hear that police confiscated the same gun that was used to kill Jim Cooney. That reflects more upon her mental stability or instability, I would say. Um, What, she wants to have a trophy? Christine Stapleton had a similar reaction to the news that Linda Cooney was involved in another shooting. Well, that was, at first I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me again. And then I thought, we always kind of suspected that Linda would be back in the news for some reason. And so part of me was shocked and part of me was like, I was not at all surprised. Strangely, just like with the first shooting, Linda Cooney did not call 911 immediately. After Kevin was shot, she called her youngest son, Christopher, who was a Las Vegas police officer. Eventually, she did make that 911 call. She wasn't all that forthright with information while on the phone with the emergency operator. My son, my son has a gunshot wound to the neck. Kevin! How did he get this wound? How did he get this wound? With with a handgun. Did somebody else shoot him or did he do it himself? Hello? 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 When police sat down and spoke with her, Linda did not lawyer up like she had after her ex-husband was shot. But she wasn't being cooperative either. She rambled during her interview with police. She rambled a lot. CBS News posted snippets of that interview on its website. It said he shouldn't be in possession of a gun. What makes you say that? Does he threaten you with it? Oh, my God. I know what the barrel looks like all the way down to the hilt. Is that what happened this morning? We love him, but we don't want it anymore. We can't handle it anymore. I'm 63 and a half years old, and I can't do it anymore. I mean, I got bruises all over me. I can't do it anymore. And I told him, just go be with her. Don't try to take us down. Leave us alone. Is that what you guys talked about? And then he turns around. One minute he's raving lunatic. The next minute, he's like a little baby, like a little boy, just like... <laughs> 
Linda told police Kevin had a history of being careless with guns. She also said he would frequently make suicidal statements to her and to his brother. He's my baby. He's my baby. He doesn't need to go to prison. He needs help. (laughs) The 48 Hours episode that profiled the Linda Cooney case titled Mama Dearest, described Linda as a controlling mother who did all she could to scare away women who entered Kevin's life. Two of Kevin's former girlfriends who were interviewed for the episode both said they feared Linda, and one of them was pursuing a career as a UFC fighter. The reporter asked the woman why she would ever fear Kevin's mother if she was a trained fighter. The woman reminded the reporter that she's not strong enough to prevent a bullet from killing her. Linda is also known to have a lot of guns in her home. She almost always has a firearm within reach. There was another bizarre detail about Linda's house. Her son's bedrooms had no doors. It's like she always wanted to keep watch of them, even after they were well into adulthood. Here again is Christine Stapleton. You know, one of the interesting things was how close the brothers seemed to be and how Linda still seemed to be controlling their lives. The, um, you know, Kevin actually said his mother, you know, shot him during a conversation about uh, Kevin and his and his girlfriend. And um, so she had, you know, basically been very, you know, controlling um, even into the boys' adult lives. Las Vegas prosecutors concluded that Kevin was actually trying to break free of his mother. He was in love with a mixed martial arts fighter and he wanted to be with her. Both Kevin and his brother had careers of their own. They financially supported their mother, even though she wielded all the control in that household. Once it became obvious that Kevin wanted to move out and be on his own, that's when Linda got desperate, according to police. They said that's when she shot her son. Prosecutors said Kevin was downstairs in their home the night of June 28, 2011, when his mother grabbed a gun, a particular gun she knew had killing power. She walked down the stairs, confronted her son, and shot him at close range, according to reports. The bullet struck Kevin in the neck. Kevin woke up a few days later after being brought to the hospital. He told nurses at the hospital that his mother shot him and that he feared her. Those nurses would be called to testify at Linda Cooney's Las Vegas trial. But Kevin would tell a much different story to authorities. Prosecutors say Kevin has been convinced since he was 10 years old that his father, Jim Cooney, entered his mother's house that one day in February 1992 with the intent to kill not only his mother, but both him and his brother. Those same prosecutors said Linda brainwashed Kevin into believing that she had saved his and his brother's life. That is why he has never been able to break free of Linda's spell. In April 2014, Linda Cooney was tried on a charge of attempted murder. The state had strong evidence. They had the testimony of all those nurses who heard Kevin say he was in fear of his mother and that his mother shot him. 
you don't want to see your mother anymore was the first question I asked him. And he said, no. He said, because she shot me. Prosecutors also pointed out that Kevin was shot at a downward angle. The forensic evidence backed up that assertion. Kevin, they argued, was sitting down when his mother shot him. But prosecutors also had a lot to contend with. Not only was Kevin under the spell of his mother, but so was Christopher, who, as I mentioned previously, is a Las Vegas police officer. He said on the stand that if Kevin was upset or depressed, he would take out his frustration on him or their mother. Chris portrayed Kevin as someone with a very bad temper. He also testified that his mother told him that before she shot him, Kevin had struck her and was threatening to kill her. It was Chris who Linda Cooney called after shooting her son. Prosecutors said that call lasted for more than 15 minutes. Kevin lay dying while Linda and Chris talked on the phone. Chris said on the stand during an emotional part of his testimony that he could not get his mother to tell him what happened or how badly injured Kevin was. The story that Chris told on the stand was that Linda saw Kevin going for the 357 Magnum, which was lying on the living room floor. She grabbed it first and headed for the door, but Kevin caught up to her and tried to pry the gun out of her hand. The gun went off, and Kevin went down. That's the story Chris said his mother finally told him before the trial. Chris wasn't the only Cooney jurors heard from. Kevin's testimony got Linda acquitted in 1993. In 2014, he tried to do the same thing for his mom. From his hospital bed, Kevin testified that he was in a rage that night and that the shooting was his fault. He even wept and repeatedly said he was sorry. That elicited an emotional reaction from the defendant, too. Kevin also said during his testimony that he was the alpha in the family. If his mother ever acted up, she got the fist. That's how it worked. That's what he told jurors. In the end, Jurors were convinced Linda tried to kill Kevin. Their verdict was guilty. Before she was sentenced, Linda addressed the court, laying the blame of Kevin's injuries entirely on Kevin. I was a battered wife. My sons were battered as well. I have done my best to raise, educate, and protect my sons as a single mother. Unfortunately, my son Kevin carried with him an anger and rage disorder that he must have inherited from his father. Yet I always protected, defended, and loved my son, and I would never have intentionally harmed him. What happened was his fault. Linda Cooney was convicted and sentenced to 13 to 41 years in prison. In another stroke of luck for Linda Cooney, that conviction would not stick. The state had told jurors during the trial that the defendant had been tried before on allegations she had murdered her husband. Allowing that to be entered into evidence was a questionable decision by the trial judge. On December 16, 2016, the Nevada Supreme Court heard Linda Cooney's appeal. 
Her attorneys argued that jurors never should have heard anything related to her 1992 murder arrest. Attorneys said that evidence was prejudicial and never should have been admitted. In March 2017, the higher court overturned Linda Cooney's conviction on the grounds that the evidence from 1992 was unquestionably unfairly prejudicial. Christine Stapleton was not surprised by the overturned verdict. She is curious to see whether prosecutors in Nevada will be able to convict Linda Cooney without that evidence. Because she was acquitted, I was kind of surprised that they allowed it into the, you know, the actual trial. But it'll be interesting to see how a jury, you know, goes during this trial not having that information. You know, it'd be interesting to find out how much impact the Palm Beach shooting had on the Las Vegas jury and whether that was like a real deciding factor in their convicting her. Pete Magrino said Nevada prosecutors were right to present the evidence to jurors. If the judge said it is permissible, then it would be unwise not to use it. Had he been in their shoes, he would have made the same decision. If I don't argue that it's admissible at trial so that the judge can make the determination that it is admissible, okay, and the guy walks... The guy or girl walks, well, hey, we, because of double jeopardy concerns, I can't say I want to bring them back in and I want to try them again, and this time I want to put this evidence in, as opposed to making the argument that's admissible, the trial judge determining that's admissible, okay, and when it goes up on appeal, the appellate court determines, uh, no, it was unduly prejudicial, it shouldn't have been admissible, and we're going to reverse it for a new trial. Okay, so when I try them the second time, I have to change my trial strategy a little bit because I'm not going to be able to use that, that evidence. But you'll get another shot. Exactly. Exactly. Linda Cooney, now 71 years old, remains behind bars awaiting her next trial. Quite a few people in Palm Beach are still interested in finding out what Linda Cooney's ultimate fate will be. There's also the matter of Kevin Cooney, who will require day-to-day medical care. The only relative remaining in his life is his younger brother. Well, I actually ran into one of the Coonies uh, recently over on the island, and uh, she told me that Linda's case is going to trial in the fall, and it's my understanding that I, Linda is still incarcerated, as far as I know. The um, you know the situation with Kevin, it's it's just so tragic because there really is no one else to care for Kevin now besides his brother Chris. You know, Linda's in prison. And she obviously can't care for him. And because they have no relationship with any of the family here in Palm Beach and haven't for, you know, so long, there's no one to care for Kevin besides his brother. So his brother now is basically the one who's going to be responsible for, you know, Kevin's care and guardianship for the rest of his life. Pete Magrino told me he hopes Linda Cooney's sons remain safe from their mother. The only way that can happen, he said, is if the next jury convicts her. I wish uh, Gerald uh, 
Kevin and his brother the best. Uh, as, as far as Linda Cooney, no, she's a, in a secure place where she can't hurt anyone, and I hope she continues to stay there. But that, I guess, remains to be seen. Christine Stapleton who's been a newspaper reporter in Florida since 1985, described to me what made the Linda Cooney case unique to any other story she's ever covered. I think what's most memorable about this case is you have a child, a young child, who was called to testify basically against his mother. And, you know, I've covered many, many murder trials, and I can't recall where a child was the witness that could potentially put his only parent in prison for the rest of her life. So, I I mean, that in and of itself made an extraordinary trial. And then, you know, you bring into that also the the fact that the the Cooney family is so well-known, so well-respected. And it was just, uh, you know, at the time, it was just a very high-profile case and really, you know, stood out for me in my career as a very unusual case that has since ended, you know, just the tragedy has just been compounded with what has happened with Kevin. Linda Cooney's next trial is scheduled for the fall. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time when I will discuss the shooting death of Canadian spring breaker Mark Fike, who was killed in March 1996 as he stood at a payphone. He had just finished talking to his mother back home. The murder was big news across North America, and it had a lasting effect on the city's reputation as a spring break destination. Please stay tuned for that story. You can find Tony on Twitter at TonyCrimeWriter or email him at Tony.Holt at News-JRNL.com. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Sun Crime State is recorded by Tony Holt and produced by Chris Bridges for the Daytona Beach News Journal.